begin a brand new message series entitled Change Anything. Let me give you some uh, things as we move forward in this series, just some advice and pointers I guess I would offer as the pastor delivering these four messages. Number one is I would encourage you to be an active listener because I know there's, you could be a passive listener, which means the preacher gets up, you sit down, and then you kind of fold your arms, listen to what he has to say, and then leave critiquing whether you liked it or not. That's sort of a passive stance. I would encourage you to be an active listener in the sense of that you be fully engaged with what we're saying in such a way that when you leave, out, leave here this morning, you'll be able to apply it. And even though every sermon has to have application or it doesn't really mean much of anything, for this series specifically, it will be your ability to apply what it is that we're talking about and what it is that I'm teaching that will help you in regards to uh, being able to change anything in your life. And let me also encourage you, if you've got like a pen or pencil and paper to write on, I'd encourage you to take your own notes because here's what's going to happen as I'm talking. Something will come to mind that's totally different than maybe what I'm saying or where I'm headed or what my illustration might be, but it's perfect for your life and where you're at and the idea that you need to have. And I'm going to trust that that came to you by the Spirit, and you should write that down. So it doesn't matter where I'm going. If the Spirit of God somehow hits you and moves you in a way where you think, wait a minute, this is significant in this particular way to my life, go ahead and write that down, and that will help you as you process and then begin to apply these sorts of things. The other thing is, as a tool to help you in this Change Anything venture, we have put together, the staff, Janae, has put together uh, Change Anything workbook journals. They look like this. There's about 17 pages full of questions and exercises and notes in terms of where we're going for the next four weeks, and you are invited to pick one up for free. They will probably, my guess is going to be in the lobby after church here. They're going to be in a green suitcase. Feel free to pick one up if you'd like one. But let me say this to you, and I mean this with great sincerity and honesty. If you don't want one, don't take one. Like if you're not planning on using it, then don't take one because these cost us money and we don't want to see them in the trash or in the coat rack or on the chairs or thrown somewhere else on the property. Take it if you want to use it. I think it will be a valuable tool and resource for you. But if you don't want one, it will not hurt our feelings at all if you just walk on by without grabbing one. So that's no big there. Number three, the things I'd also say in regards to these four weeks is they're successive, meaning that they build on top of one another which means next week will go far better if you listened this week and the first week. And, and so if you're going to miss one of the four weeks of this series, I want to encourage you, go online to livingstones.cc and listen to the podcast for the content because I won't have time to review everything we talked about the week before. And it's sort of a denser teaching kind of thing, and it'll help you. So if you miss one week, go online, listen to it, so you can catch back up before the next Sunday. And finally, the last thing I would say is... Uh, a communitas group could be very helpful in this venture. And if you don't know what communitas groups are, there are small groups here at the Living Stones Church. They're committed to spiritual fitness. And for the next four weeks, they're going to be talking about what is it we're, what, that I'm preaching on. And sometimes just statistics tell us when you're with other people who can encourage you, support you, pray for you, those sorts of things, life change can go better for you in regards to your life. And so uh, if you're not in one, now would be a great time to jump in one. They are all open. Just go to livingstones.cc, look at when they meet, who's leading them, where they're at, all those sorts of things, and then just go ahead and be a part of one. They'd be happy to have you. So let me encourage you on those things as we get started. Now, I really do believe people have a fundamental desire to see change in their life. Like, I, I'm going to guess in this room, everybody who's here, there's something in your life that you'd love to see changed. And it usually is born out of something. It's usually maybe an insecurity that you have in your life. You feel insecure in this area, and man, I'd really love to change this or see something different by way of it, or an area of your life where you're frustrated. It, it could come, come right out of your brokenness or sin, something in your life in that particular area. And sometimes it's just boredom. You ever get bored in life and think, 
man, I just need to shake things up. I need some change just simply because you feel like it's just mundane now and, and monotonous. There's probably some situation that you don't really care about either in yourself or in your life. And it could be lots of things. It could be your weight. It could be your financial condition. Maybe it's the debt load that you have right now. Maybe it's how much you drink or the fact that you're still smoking and, and you resolved long ago to stop doing that. Or maybe it's the amount of time you spend watching TV or refreshing your news feed on Facebook. You'd like to use that time for something more worthwhile. Or even on the positive side, maybe for you it's getting around to the thing that you've always wanted to accomplish. Maybe you've had this dream of going back to school and finishing up that degree so it opens up other opportunities and doors for you. And maybe that's what you'd like to see in terms of life change. Or maybe it's you've always wanted to learn Spanish and this is your year you want to do that. Maybe it's you've always dreamt of writing a book and in your heart and mind you even even know what that book is and maybe this is the year that you finally accomplish that. Or or maybe it's getting back to playing the instrument that you once loved and and just for years now you haven't played the bagpipes and you like to pick the bagpipes back up. And who wouldn't want to play the bagpipes? Or maybe it's just being free from an addiction. Things that we want to change in life. And everyone in this room probably has something. That's why at the New Year, we kind of make those resolutions. And I I get that's a personality thing. Not everybody is into the New Year's resolutions, at least not as much as I am. But I would say, at the very least, yeah, if we're honest, there's probably something we'd like to see in terms of life change. Even in terms of the amount of money that Americans will spend in 2013 on life change. Let me give you just two statistics. Did you know this year, Americans will spend $40 billion to lose weight. Just wrap your mind around that thought. $40 billion, all the programs and plans and powders and et cetera, to help us lose weight. $10.4 billion will be spent on just plastic surgery. There's something about physically we don't like about ourselves, and so we'll spend lots of money. That our heart longs for change, and few are totally content with their life, meaning, no, no, I'm good with everything. And if you are there, most likely the spouse sitting next to you has a list for you of things they like to see you change in the coming year. But doesn't it inspire us when people change? Like when we see real radical life change in any area, whether it's financial or health, when we see it, there's something in it that just, it inspires us. It makes us think, that is fantastic. And you begin to think about how maybe you could do that in your own life. I'd like to show you a video. It's, it was on Facebook weeks ago. I don't know if you, you saw it. Of just this idea of just, yeah, these life-changing, transforming moments could be very inspiring. So take, take a look at this. sent me those first two pictures on with the knee braces, the back brace, the canes, 
297 pounds and his belly was out to here. And I was thinking, God, how am I going to help that guy? When you get what you want, not what you need. When you feel so tired that you can't sleep. Stop giving hands. And tears come streaming from my face. When you lose something you can't replace. When you love someone but it goes to waste. Share this with you. Thanks a lot. When you're too in love to let it go. But if you never try, you'll never know. Here's where I'm at now. And there's something in that that's inspiring. Even if you're not in the same life situation or condition, it's the idea that man, if this guy can do this, then surely there's hope for my particular situation. There's, there's got to be a chance that if he can overcome those obstacles and those odds, then surely I can overcome the ones that I have. And so in our attempt to accomplish our desired change or our New Year's resolutions or whatever you want to call it, what we usually turn to is our willpower. 
we turn to our inner strength and fortitude of determination to accomplish our desired change. We picture ourselves rising up to the challenge, almost like an Olympic athlete ready to take on our adversary and succeed through our own power and force and will. And I mean, I, I live on this plane where I think my key, I mean, self-discipline and self-control, and you live by a, a secret, a little secret mantra that just says, I'll try harder. I'll just, I'll just try harder. And every time you have one of those relapses or setbacks, that little message is, we just need to try harder. You need to try harder. And then we get slapped down to this reality that, you know, in the end, our willpower isn't nearly as strong as we thought. That our determination to finally get fit and healthy on Sunday evening after the last half gallon of ice cream that we eat, of course, doesn't seem to make it uh, past the 5.30 in the morning alarm clock. All of a sudden, it's back to the old Sam at that moment when 5.30 hits and the alarm goes off. Or our determination to better ourselves, whether it's to finally write the book or to learn Spanish or to spend more time with God or to read the Bible in the year or to deepen our relationships doesn't seem to make it past the hours we spend on the couch because there's a Jersey Shore marathon on MTV. If your willpower was really all that great, you would have accomplished your goal years ago. If self-determination were really the answer, you would have lost the weight last year when you resolved to lose the weight. If just greater discipline was the key, if just trying harder was the answer, you would have walked away from the addiction already. So let me give it to you as clearly and concisely as I know how. Your willpower ain't worth crap. And mine isn't either. And it's humbling to say that and discouraging, I know. But all you have to do is ask anyone who's mired deep within an addiction and ask them, how the idea of just trying harder works. And they'll tell you, it doesn't. The answer to the deepest levels of change and life change or life transformation, the ability to change anything, I don't think will be for us found in just gutting it our way through it to more determination and more discipline and just trying harder. No, the answer will come in an acknowledgement and a confession that our willpower in and of itself is broken and not adequate. And so we need something greater to step in and to rescue us is to realize that our greatest intentions are being continually sabotaged by both visible and invisible forces in ways that we've yet to understand that sometimes we're just even blind and clueless to. I mean, let me just give you from a New Testament perspective three things that we know according to the scriptures are coming against us all the time in our desire to change anything. One is what the New Testament calls the flesh. And when you see that in the Bible, when the, when the Bible uses the word flesh, it's not talking about like your skin and ligaments and your t- muscle tissues, how it's all put together. No, it's a theological term that refers to our humanness inclined towards self-centeredness with its center in our sinful bodies, which includes our mind and emotions and will. What that means is the reason why I'm having such a hard time doing the things I want to do and changing the things I want to change is because I'm in this body with this flesh, like the inner core of who I am is broken and at times has been away from God towards my own self-centered desires and it's sort of a sabotaging thing within myself. And not only is my own flesh at work against me, but the world that we live in. The New Testament uses the word the world. And when you see that in the New Testament, it's not referring to like the planet or the globe 
when you see the term the world in the New Testament, what it's referring to is the systems and structures, the world views and values with its accompanying behaviors that are an alienation and opposition to God. Just the, life, the, the context that we find ourselves in, the worldview that we're shaped by, the images that we see, the systems and structures, the things that are around us that are alienated and in opposition to God are always working against us and calling against our even best attempts and desires to see life change. And, and then the third thing that, that the Bible talks about is, and there are actually satanic and demonic forces that are aligned against us that wants to sabotage us, that doesn't ever want to see us get to that place in life that we call abundant life. It's always trying to undermine that. And so these three things, the, the flesh, our flesh, the world, and satanic realities are always at work trying to sabotage our best intentions. And every time we just try harder with our willpower, they're right there to undermine it. This is why the Bible will say things like this. Oh, no, when it comes to those demonic forces, there, there are schemes against us. And we should. this is what Paul will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of what? His schemes. He's got schemes against us. Or he'll write in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, listen, we need to put on the full armor of God so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Now, as we move forward, I do want to offer this important qualifier. We are not opposed to self-control. Like, I'm, not, I'm not against willpower. I'm not opposed to self-control. In fact, we think it will be essential in changing anything in your life. And we recognize that it is a fruit of the Spirit. This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. He gives a list of things. No, listen, like the fruit that comes from being in the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. And he follows it up in the end with, and self-control against such things. Listen, there is no law. But there's a hint even in the language or the statement that's simply this that the fruit of self-control isn't something that we gut ourselves to, that we summon up from the inside, but rather it's a fruit that's born in our life by who? The Holy Spirit. It's when we live our life in the Lord Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit, then the fruit of that will be self-control. It's not like, well, today I'm going to wake up and gut myself through self-control, but rather I'm going to trust and depend and follow the life of the Spirit, and the Spirit will give in my life fruit that is self-control. We are theologically in the same state that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. And, you, and you'll spend time reading. I mean, Romans 7 is just, uh, it's Paul's way of dealing with the law and what the law does to us. And what he, he starts the chapter by saying, the law kind of awakens in us this desire we didn't even know we had. Like Paul will say, I didn't even know that I even wanted to covet until the law came around and said, do not covet. And then I was like, right, now I want to covet. Like, you ever been there? Like somebody says to you, you can't do this, and you thought to yourself, I didn't even want to do it before you said that. But now you tell me I can't do it. Now I want to do it. I mean, that's, that's, what Paul said. that's what the law does. The law comes around and don't do this, don't do that. And then you're like, I didn't even want to do it. But now I'm told I can't do it. I want to do that. I mean, that's, that's the way it works. And so he, he brings this all about. And it's sort of like a, a sociologist did an experiment with children in the backyard. He had, you know, they're playing, mind their own business, kicking a ball around. And he says, he brought them all over. He said, I want you to show you this. He brought them to the corner of the backyard where there's a little flower garden. And he said, whatever you do, I just... Do not touch these flowers right here. Just don't, just, you need to leave them alone. Don't touch them. And so it goes back in the house. And what do the kids want to do? Like they didn't even know those flowers were there. But now all of a sudden, like, they're all coming as close as they can to the flowers. They're trying to touch the flowers with the tip of their toe. They're spitting on the flower. I mean, that's, that's what happens, right? Don't do it. Now that's what I want to do. So Paul goes on and talks about what he's experiencing. And this might be what you're experiencing and what I experience. It's in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Now, I'm going to try to go slow because it sounds almost like an Abbott and Costello routine. You know, who's on first? 
So let's try to work our way through this. This is what Paul says in verse 15. I don't understand what I do. Now, that might be your life verse right there, <laughs> right? Now, that I get. I don't get all, why did I say that? I didn't want to say that. And why did I do that? I did, why am I eating all this? I mean, you, this is what he goes on to say. For what I want to do, I don't do. But rather, what I hate, I do. Now, they want, you know what that's like? I want to do this, but I'm not doing this. I keep doing the thing I hate to do. And, and, I, and if I do what I don't want to do, then I agree that the law is good. And as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And I think what Paul's referring here to is that flesh. It's, it's that flesh part of us, that sinful nature part of us. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. At least that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I mean, that, how many of that's, man, yeah, that's it. I mean, I'd like to do that. I want to be this kind of a person. I wish I had this habit, and yet I find I'm not able to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, listen, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, and it's waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He's, I'm a wretched man. And who's going to rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, I do want to say, listen, he goes on, he gives praise to Jesus for rescuing him, and all of Romans chapter 8 is about life in the Spirit. But at least now for Romans 7, my guess is for many of us, we like, oh, no, that we get. Like, whether that's how it's supposed to be, that's the life I understand. I want to do this, but I find I'm doing the thing that I don't want to do. And I think Romans 7 is that idea, this is why willpower on its own isn't going to cut it. And this is why all of our best attempts and determinations and even our most sincere of intentions of just trying harder aren't working to bring about the changes that we need in our life. We need something greater than willpower. We need to be smarter in regards to seeing how our best intentions are being sabotaged all around us and coming up with a game plan which will include total dependence and surrender to God to truly change anything. So I want to invite you on a journey to change anything in your life. And I'll let you decide what it is. I mean, I know a lot of churches could get up and you kind of get that hellfire brimstone preaching and you need to change this. And you're like, like you, get, you know what I'm saying? I don't think I have to do that at all. My guess is you know exactly what it is. Like, I don't need to spend all my time preaching on what you need to change. My guess is even this morning sitting there, you know, yeah, this is in my life and this is in my life. And I know this is probably what I need to change. But, but what I want to talk about over the next four weeks are some principles that I think if we do the work, it, it, that when we apply it to our life, I think it could help us whether we're trying to lose weight or whether we're trying to walk away from crystal meth. And this is personal for me. And, and I've got some things I need to change in my own life. I've got my own list, and let me be personal here with one of them, just because I think it's important to be honest. It's in the area of my health. What you're seeing now is a picture of me five years ago when I was on the Brazil soccer team. No, I was not on the Brazil. No, that's not true. Now, most of you have never seen me look like this, and those of you who have don't remember, you forgot, or secretly you're thinking, ooh, Sam's really packed on the pounds. Two years ago, I went to my doctor and found out that I have high blood pressure, 170 over 100. That's what it was. 
I also have high cholesterol. He's decided, at least for now, not to put me on medication because I also have high good cholesterol, which apparently somehow can cancel out. So he was a little hesitant. But I will say this. If willpower was enough, I would have lost this weight last year when I determined to do so at New Year's or the year before that or the year before that or the year before that. It's sort of like, you know, the gym membership, you know, and, and gyms even have, they work in their business model. And the, I mean, what happens at the very beginning of the year in January? I mean, it's just packed. Then you get to the end of January, and what does it look like? Yeah, nobody's around anymore. No, I, I need something greater than my willpower. And honestly, that even includes you. I mean, the, the church that I belong to and that I trust loves me, and because you love me, you're rooting for life change in my life, and, and you won't buy me any more Outback cheese fries even though they're very delicious. And you could fill in your own story this morning. You, you get to hear mine because I'm the only one in the room with a microphone at the moment. But I, I'd like, I want you to think about, so just think about in your own life what you want to change. You don't have to say it out loud to anybody else. I, I know this. I, this isn't your miracle. Like I know in December we talked about Miracle on Dahmer Avenue and a lot of people wrote down a lot, I mean, over 500 different things. I'm not talking, a miracle is where God supernaturally acts in spite of me to rescue me from something that I can't, I mean, I'm not, I don't contribute to this. It is all God. It is supernatural. He intervenes in a very unexpected, powerful, supernatural way. Now, if I wake up in the morning and God has miraculously helped me lose 50 pounds, praise God, right? And wouldn't that be weird, waking up, (laughs) these pants don't fit anybody, I mean, but my guess is it isn't a miracle from God I need that God is going to call me into a cooperative action on his part. Now, I'm not saying we won't be totally dependent on him. It just means he is probably at the same time going to need from me the exertion of my will to stop eating that and to go to the gym and to do these sorts of things. I mean, it would be great if in the morning I wake up and get a note from my credit card saying that I don't owe $27,000 of credit card. You, you get what I'm saying? But my guess is... God isn't going to step in and miraculously deliver me from credit card debt. He's going to need a cooperative effort on our part to say, oh, well, I guess I need to make a budget, and out of that I need to change my spending habits and do these sorts of things. What we're going to step into is a cooperative adventure with God. And that means we are going to be completely dependent on him, and at the same time, we're going to do something. We're going to exercise our will and effort. We're going to affirm what Jesus says in John 15, that apart from him, we can do nothing. And at the same time, what Dallas Willard says when he says, yes, but if you do nothing, it will be apart from Jesus. Like, apart from Jesus, we're not, we can't do anything, but if you choose to do nothing, then it will be apart from Jesus because Jesus will call us into this cooperative effort. And so in that, we are dealing with things. That t- well, I mean, what if the reason why we haven't up until this point been able to change something in our life isn't the sole responsibility of a weak or inadequate willpower, but rather because there are forces that are aligned against us and we can't even see up until now what they were and that they even existed? What if over the next four weeks we uncover and unmask those forces and through it realize what we're up against? And then instead of it being against us, flip it to be on our side. It's almost like judo moves. Like, you know, I don't know if you know the principles behind judo, but what judo is is you're using your opponent's weight and momentum against them. As they're coming at you, you're doing a throw and a flip to use to leverage their own weight and momentum in your behalf. What if we can recognize those things that are against us and flip it to be for us and to use it in our quest? 
that maybe willpower in and of itself isn't the final word of things. And in that, I want you to see this video uh, kind of describing the issues with willpower and how maybe willpower can be a skill learned to help us change anything. Take a look at this video. marshmallows. But then, who doesn't? I don't know what I love more. The soft, moist, tender center, or the powdered sugar on the outside that dissolves on contact with my tongue. But I digress. Over 40 years ago, the legendary psychologist Walter Michel did an experiment with four-year-olds that changed the world. He put little kids in front of a marshmallow and told them that if they didn't eat it until he got back, he would give them the second marshmallow. Then he left. For 15 minutes. Needless to say, not many of the kids made it. But then he followed the kids that did for 20 years. It turned out that the kids who could delay gratification did better in almost every area of life. They scored hundreds of points higher on their SAT tests, they had better relationships, and they got promoted more often. Michelle found that willpower is a big deal. But at the time, he forgot the most important question. That's where Albert Bandora and I come in. Here's my experiment. I wanted to find out if you can learn willpower. In other words, is will a skill? First, I brought 14 four-year-olds into a room and made them Michelle's offer. Okay, do you like marshmallows? Okay, this is for you. But I'm gonna leave the room for a little while and when I get back, if this is still here, I'm gonna give you another marshmallow. Remember, you can eat it whenever you want, but if it's still there when I get back, I'm gonna give you another one and you'll have two to eat. Then I watched them to see how many could wait for the second yummy treat. Just like in Michelle's experiment, some made it. Kids, go find your mom. But most didn't. It's just so hard. After a while, I could predict who was gonna fail within the first few seconds. You like marshmallows? This is for you, but wait, wait. Okay, some didn't even take a few seconds. But the ones who did this, or this, or this, well, it wasn't hard to read their body language. Then I took the second group of 14 and tried something different. I tried to teach them a skill for delaying. I reassured them it was okay if they ate the marshmallow, but then I made some suggestions if they wanted to wait for the second one. Something you can do to help yourself wait is to not look at the marshmallow, to think of your favorite story that your mom or dad has read you, or you can play a game with yourself in the room. Then I watched them. Look at the clever things they did. A few years 
after Michelle's original work, Albert Bandura found you could help kids develop willpower skills by just showing them a video of kids who successfully delayed. After watching my 14 kids, I can see why a picture is worth a thousand words. The results? 50% more kids made it when given advice about how to delay. So what's the point? Willpower has a huge influence on our ability to achieve what we want in life. No big surprise there. But for those of us who are feeling weak and out of control, never forget what these four-year-olds teach us. You're never too young or too old to learn the skills to increase will. In the end, what psychologists discovered is that it's called a willpower trap where you assume that the only reason certain kids were better at delaying gratification than others was that nature had endowed them with more willpower, and that was it. What they determined was that this was not true, and tragically so. That willpower is seen as a quality you were either born with or you aren't, and if you aren't, and then in the end, you conclude, might as well just give up because I just, whatever reason, God didn't give me that sort of ability in terms of willpower. What typically happens for us is we fall into a depressing cycle that goes like this, and maybe you've experienced this, where you start with this heroic commitment to change. This is the year I'm finally going to, and then you find in a couple weeks, if not sooner, uh, all of a sudden it's an eroding motivation, which in the end goes to termination, which then moves to you relapse back to your old habits again. Now, when those old habits the pain of that piles up again, what happens is you summon up once again the energy, okay, now I'm really going to, it's March 1st, summer's going to be here, I mean, now I'm really going to change, and what happens is once again you keep going through that, but the problem is every time you go through that cycle, it heaps on more lack of hope, guilt, and shame, and it's discouraging every time you go through it. It feels like we're exerting a lot of effort, but no progress. It's almost like being on a treadmill. I seem to be doing a lot of running, but I'm still in the same spot. And, and what, it suggests, what if skill has a part to play? What if it isn't all about our willpower, but also what are the things we need to learn to help us in this area? That the failure to harness one's impulses isn't necessarily fixed at birth, but rather a skill that could be learned. And so we saw on the video, the kids that were taught, look, don't look at the marshmallow. Turn your back on it. Think about a story your mom and dad tell you at night. Do Play a game in your head. All of a sudden, they've learned a skill that's helped them to delay their gratification. And in the end, what the scientists discovered is that one of the biggest barriers to personal success is not the lack of moxie or chutzpah or willpower, but the mistaken belief that the willpower is the key to change. And that's good news for us if we're coming out of Romans 7, where we recognize, actually, I think our willpower stinks. That there exists around us many sources of influence that are working either for or against us all of the time. Again, we're not opposed to willpower, but in the end, if this is all that we know or think about, then we will not have what we need to, go, to keep the temper in check or to quit smoking or to lose weight. Look, by the way, a little illustration uh, in terms of the influences that are working against you that you're blind to, you don't even see. Did you know when you walk into a casino, there are forces and influences that are working against you in ways that you don't even see? Or so I've been told, I mean, in terms of casino. But uh, for example... Did you know that the hotel check-in registration is always in the back of the casino? Like you have to go through the entire casino to check into your room. You know, even if you don't have any intent of gambling, you have to walk through everything to get to that place. Did you know there's a scientific reason why they have you gamble with chips than with cash? 
because you'll feel the pain if you've got to lay down a 20, but if it's just a blue chip, what's the big deal with that? Did you know they know exactly what sounds to emit from those machines that's perceived as excitement and winning? Like you're walking through, ding, ding, ding. I mean, it feels like people are winning all over the place, and they're not. The casino has one goal to separate you from your money, and there's things that work all around you in ways that you don't even see. Do you know that they know exactly the, enti- the science in regards to the type and level of music to play in the background when you're at the casino? You know what's never in a casino? Windows. Do you know why? Because they don't want you to know it's 3 o'clock in the morning. You know what they do? They pump oxygen into casinos. Do you know why? So you're awake. You don't ever get tired. You think, I could go all night, just keep spending money here. The colors and the shapes of the room are all intentional. The length of the arms on the slot machines are all calculated to entice you to pull them. Have you ever noticed the color patterns on carpets in casinos? It's jarring. And you know why? Because they don't want you to look down at the ground. They want you to look up at all the machines that are on the floor and all the games. The methods of influence are nearly endless. You go in just thinking, I'm going to spend 20 bucks. You come out, and you don't have rent for the next three months, and you don't know how you got there. And the reason is because you got all those influences that are at work against you in ways you didn't even know about. You were completely blind to it. Social scientists and psychologists have libraries of books that explain how to get you to act that brings them billions of dollars in profits while giving you unwanted pounds, failed liver, divorce, and bankruptcy. Grocery stores the same way. Did you know? Do you know there's a reason why bread and milk is not the first thing you see in a grocery store, is it? Where's the bread and milk? It's on the other side of the grocery store because they want you to pass through all those end caps and all those things that they're trying to sell in terms of product placement. Did you know they know exactly what kind of music to play that slows you down so you spend more time in the grocery store and spend more money? All of it is by design. I'll never forget, uh, I used to stock shelves at Martin's Supermarket, and one time we uh, over-purchased uh, salad dressing, just one kind of salad dressing, and there's no way we're going to sell it all. Like, there's, there's no way. And I'll never forget, my manager told me, get one of those for sale Martin signs, put the exact same cost as any other salad. It's not for sale, put this, the original cost, but just put the sign in front of it. And I was amazed at how many people bought that salad dressing just because there's a red sign with the price on it. It was just, it's the influences that are working against us in ways that we don't see. At the North Rim Grand Canyon, did you know that they play peppier music when the line gets so long? And because subconsciously when that music gets going, you begin to eat faster and you're finishing away from your table. They can make more money. Did you know that advertisers know that the sound that is most likely to get your attention is the sound of a giggling baby? Did you know that? And preachers know this too. You bring in a baby who starts laughing and giggling, I've lost everybody in the room. That our first problem in changing anything isn't so much that we're weak, as much as that might be true, but that we're blind. And this is what Jesus says in John 8, verse 32. Listen, you need to know the truth because it will be the truth that will set you free. He'll go on and say, verse 36, that the Son will set you free and then you'll be free indeed. That the Bible will speak many times that it does not want us to be unaware. And in our venture to change anything, the first task is to unmask and uncover all of those influences that are at work against us in ways that we didn't see. Because when it comes to long-standing habits, what you can't see is usually what's controlling you. And since we can't see these sources of influence working against us, when we do have a setback, we blame it on the one source of influence that we can spot ourselves. And it always leaves us then feeling more shameful, more guilty, and more self-condemned, all the while our enemy laughs. <laughs> I got you. It really is when Jesus says to the man who's possessed by a demon, what is the name of the demon? The demon says, Legion. Because we are many that often, no, no, that's right. There's forces and influences that work against us that are many. And so the first step for us 
is to uncover those influences. And sometimes you catch glimpses of it. This might have been the case for you in your life. If you ever try to be free from drugs or if you ever try to lose a bunch of weight, what you'll discover is you've got people in your life who aren't nearly as yippy-skippy about that for you as you are. That the moment you declare to this couple of friends that you don't, you're not doing drugs anymore, all of a sudden they get threatened in that and they do everything they can to influence you to take drugs again. Or every time you say to your friend, I, I'm not, I don't want to eat like that anymore, they're like, are you, I mean, are you serious? And then, it, then mocking or questions or, or they at the very end do the last resort. I mean, come on, I'm just, just one more time. One more, one last time and then you can, I mean, you ever, what, it's a little glimpse into, wait a minute, I think there might be influences at work against me that is sabotaging my desire to change. So this is where we're headed next week. We want to talk about um, what are those influences at work. I mean, for all of us the, that are at work either for or against us, how do we identify them, and then how do we use them to help us in changing anything? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and are grateful that you love us, and we come to you to say, Lord, we are broken in many places, and we are totally dependent on you to change the things in our life that we desire. So help us in this venture, Father. We, we look to you and ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the reality of our world, and in it, that in the end, we would live abundant life. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.